They're not really judging the book or what's written in the book. They're judging it because it's about Britney Spears and there's something lesser than about it. Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Before we start, we want to issue a disclaimer. Conversations hosted by PageCast are happening from all corners of the world. So if we do have any inconsistencies with sound, we ask for your understanding as a listener. Today's episode is hosted by Tekla Cholfi, founder and manager of Techs in the City. Tekla has been part of the music industry in South Africa for the last 13 years in various capacities, namely journalism, radio presenting, event curation and artist management. And more recently, as the host of the number one music podcast, Text Talks. Today, I am in conversation with author and professor Jennifer Otter-Bickerdijk. Jennifer is a media and music academic and an author specializing in fandom, vinyl records, the cult of dead celebrity, pop culture, and music. She has written and presented extensively on fandom and media across various platforms, including the BBC, The Guardian, and Playboy. Jennifer, welcome to PageCast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's only a pleasure. Now, we're here today to talk about your book, Being Britney, Pieces of a Modern Icon, which is an absorbing read that chronicles the life of Britney Spears, one of the biggest pop stars of the modern world. And Britney has been under the scrutiny of the media her whole life. And recently, because of the now defunct conservatorship, she's been in the media a lot more. I mean, it's like it's 2008 all over again. She's basically everywhere. What I want to know is when did you decide that Britney's life was going to be the blueprint for your next book? I actually thought it was around this time last year, probably November of 2020, I was wrapping up, putting the finishing touches on my last book, which is called You Are Beautiful and You Are Alone, the biography of Nico. And that's about uh, Krista Pafkin, who's most famous for being in the Velvet Underground and a muse for Andy Mm. Warhol. And one of the things that I found rewarding and really, at the same time, very perplexing about working on that book is how the mythology that has been passed down over the years about Nico was so different than the actual person when you kind of delve into the truth of what was happening in her life and you kind of look at the circumstances that led her to do certain Mm -hmm. things or make specific decisions and I thought okay well who else could we do that with and I know it probably sounds weird because we all feel like we know Britney because she's so in the media but I couldn't believe it when I started researching it there was no real there was no updated Britney Spears book there was no scholarly book on Britney what I mean by scholarly there are a lot of like 50 page books that fans, I mean, bless them, had written, uh, take usually mostly taking facts from Wikipedia and where, you know, grammar was poor, this, that, and the other. But I really wanted to use Brittany as like a touchstone to popular culture in the Western world and also capture mm. all the different kind of chronicles of her life. And that's really what I set out and, and unpick that mythology like I did of Nico. And that's what I set out to do with being Brittany. While you were doing your research and then subsequent writing of the biography, was there any bit of information that you came across or learned about Britney that really surprised you at all? I would say Britney's a weird one because she is someone we literally have watched her since she was a teenager into a now 40-year-old 
grown woman. Everything she's done has been so well chronicled via, again, the tabloids and the paparazzi. So I would say the one thing that surprised me, and this is more from a human point of view, the two, actually two points, I lie, there's two things. From a human point of view, I would have cracked like so long ago and just would have been like shouting expletives at anyone and everyone near me. Brittany was so, and has been so, so um, considerate and polite there's probably only two to three incidents over the decades she's been in show business of the thousands of interviews and incidents that I read where she swore or flipped someone off or did something that could be seen as as ad acting anything but courteous. So I think that surprised me because mm. I think anybody else would have would have lost their rag like much, much sooner. So that was one. But I would say the biggest thing that was surprising, and I've been surprised even in the way the book has been covered by a lot of the press, and that is there's this mm -hmm. huge disconnect between Britney, the businesswoman, Britney, the phenomenal pop star, and the media spectacle of Britney. And what I mean by that is every 15 seconds, for example, a bottle of Britney Spears perfume is sold. And yet, why is it that we still, there's like, a, there is a snootiness that we still look down upon Britney. And I've, I've, <laughs> I've really found that in like a lot of the reviews of the book and, and things like that. They're not really judging the book or what's written in the book. They're judging it because it's about Britney Spears and there's something lesser than about it. So even though she is one of the most successful pop stars of all time, one of the most, one of the most successful recording stars of all time, there still is something about it that people totally downplay that, and I would say are now are they're not they're not outwardly nasty, but like I've had several things being like, oh well, she's not the Beatles, and it's just like well, the Beatles are you can't it's like comparing you know the Neanderthal man to Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> it's like two completely different time periods, and and it's like what like it's it's just weird. So. Um, that's been really strange, I would say. That really surprised me. And the misogyny. Sorry, I said no, I said one thing and now I'm coming up with three. The misogyny <laughs> around it. There is something very, and I think coming off the back of Nico, which that story was so misogynist, so much about how she looked and her talent and the way that she was, if you looked at the contrast between when Nico, Nico um, had a lot of affairs with the really, the hot men of like the 60s and 70s, which, you know, like... It, who wouldn't? Yeah, it, hello, <laughs> holla, thank you, child. I mean, if I, had, if I had Jim Morrison there, I'd be like, oh yeah, dish that right up. Um, and she was just like, <laughs> she was just completely like torn apart and called a slut and all these horrible things. Same exact thing with Britney. Like, if you look at who Justin went on to, you know to hop on pop with after Britney, it literally is a laundry list of starlets um, of the 90s and 2000s. Britney even like glances at a man and she's just like, oh, you know, she's just a slag. So I think my, that was just really, I think kind of those two, I wrote the books back to back and that was really difficult for me. I, I think mm -hmm. that it shouldn't be surprising that now I feel like a complete deflated balloon. Like I'm like, I can't wait for it to be Christmas. Um, <laughs> after these experiences. But yeah, I'd say those are the, the three most surprising things. Misogyny, alive and well. Brittany being totally curious. And thirdly, the way that even though she is this complete and utter phenomenon, she still is totally, for whatever reason, still not celebrated in that way by the masses. You know, I'm so glad that you touched on her perfume because that was one of the chapters of the book that really struck me because I had no idea just how successful her perfumes were and how many bottles she was selling every year. 
And it was very interesting where uh, there was that article where ladies were asked, oh. you know, what perfume did they use? And th- did- there, there was a hesitancy for women to say, I use Britney Spears' oh. perfume. So there's like this inherent classism yes. that exists as well. Because oh. Britney Spears is manufacturing a perfume that is, uh, the price point is accessible for everybody. You know, it's it's not necessarily this high high couture or um, high class price point, and I just thought that that was so sad that there was this hesitancy for people to say, yeah, that's the kind of perfume that I use. Sister, that is you just hit it in one, and that's actually what that's the example I've used in a lot of interviews because. There were so many things in the book that were just like, this is it in a nutshell. This is the issue with Britney Spears. And that particular one about the perfume, like if I could even, I mean, you and I both, I'm sure if we could have even like, you know, one eighth the success, the riches of Britney Spears, girl, I would be like, you know, fermenting myself in any and all of her perfumes 24 <laughs> seven. You know what I'm saying? So for these, like these, you know, anonymous, totally up their own backsides hoes to be like, oh yes, I can't tell anybody I wear Britney. I'm like, I mean, like bring your neck in. Like I just, but that is the attitude for everything with Britney. That's the thing. And like, there was another chapter in the book where we put it in as a joke. I thought it was hilarious about Britney thinking her house was haunted by Britney Murphy. Yeah, or the yeah, Britney yeah. saw like the ghost of Britney Murphy. Like we almost didn't put it in because we thought it was just like, it's so ridiculous and stupid. But I I think almost every single review the book has had, people are like, I utter bicker like then puts in how Britney Spears is a psychic and sees the future. I'm like, no, it's a joke. Like I, like I think if it was anybody, else, it's like she's not allowed to have success. She's not allowed to have humor. She's not allowed to have these other things that we grant we grant most other people. It's very weird, you know. And in that in that perfume chapter, there's a section where it talks about a launch that she does of the perfume where she's chewing mm-hmm. gum and she's just she's not that articulate. Like she's not glib. She's talking in words how you and I would speak, not at, like she's reading from a dictionary. And she gets slammed for that. But that's the thing. If you're like a 16 to 23-year-old younger woman or even younger, 12, 13, that you're going to understand that and that's going to make you want to buy it. So I think it's brilliant marketing. Why are we not celebrating that? It is brilliant marketing. And you know, one of the things that your book did was jog my memory about things that I had seen and heard, but forgotten about how they made me feel at the time with regards to Britney Spears. And one of those things was when she released Hit Me Baby one more time. I was Mm -hmm. 15 when she Mm -hmm, released mm -hmm. that. And I explicitly remember how the music video made me feel. I mean, it made me want to be her. Like you said, talking to exactly the same kind of, you know, her audience. And it made me want to be her. It made me want to be her friends, having the best time in that gym. And that chapter where you dive into the making of the music video, you detail each part so well. The director, the setting, the love interest who was her cousin. I didn't know that. (laughs) I learned that when I read the book. Um, but also the costume, which for me was the most interesting part of the chapter. And I want to know, do you think that the boycotting of the costume by various groups and, and the backlash from the media, do you think that was a horrible foreshadowing from the get-go of how the media were going to twist things and how society was inevitably going to sexualize her? I mean, you're the first person to ask me about that chapter, and I've done 92 interviews in less than a month for this book. <laughs> So the reason I bring that up is because it's, again, such a good example of 
Mm. It, we're all it's with Britney. It's weird because it's almost like we say, "Oh, we did all we like the media, the public did all these horrible things to her," and yet we keep on doing them. So instead of looking at that video like the way that you look, you read the chapter. You thought, "Okay, like I was a fifteen-year-old watching this." You weren't going, "Ooh, sexy, sexy." You're going. This no, is a powerful girl. She's like a badass. I want to wear clothes. This is and she so wasn't... dope. I want to be her. Yeah. She's like doing backflips. You know, she's like ruling the school. It's the adults that are putting that stuff onto the kid. And that, that they, that's the thing that's so damaging. And that's something that I think it's weird. Because I think the things have almost turned upside down now in a lot of ways. I think kids rule the adults in a lot of what in a lot of situations now. But for Brittany, I think it was, it was all about the adults in power, both using their power to market her, but then also creating that narrative, if that makes any sense, which it really, mm-hmm. if you think about what was else was going on, like this is the time of, you know, just a little bit after Spice Girls is Jerry, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm a huge Spice Girl fan. It were Jerry, you know, sexy ginger spice. Were her outfits really that much more crazy than Britney's at that time period? Like not really, and, you know, she wasn't that much older than Britney. Why wasn't she getting slammed? And it was that same kind of like girl power and thing. In fact, it was even more marketed. So it's just, it's, I think it was saying specific to Britney. It's kind of like that perfect stew of the American dream coming true. It's an idea that we've exported, Americans have exported around the entire world that we want to believe in, but we also love tearing people down. And I think like Britney's mm-hmm. a little bit too much like us in a lot of ways. And that's, I, I think Britney Spears is an example of the worst of humanity, not her, the way that she's been treated from the beginning, as you point out. I mean, you follow that chapter about the music video up with Breastgate. Also something that when I was 15 years old, I didn't know the controversy surrounding, Mm-mm. okay, well, here is a woman who is coming into her own, growing up, growing into her own body, and then all of a sudden there's speculations about her having a boob job, mm-hmm. uh, which is what Breastgate, the chapter Breastgate, is about. I want to know, do you think that that Dutch journalist was quoted out of context in the Framing Britney Spears documentary, where he asks her point blank about her breasts? Or do you think it was him just trying to backpedal? I would say I. my honest answer is I don't know, because you and I both know how we can slice and dice things to make it look the way we want to for a specific reason. Very true. I, I don't think there was is any reason that a grown-ass man like that, even even if her management was like, you have to ask this, he should have said, no, I'm not going to ask that question, period. Even mm. if it was joking. Because mm. it just, it, it, it's just, you watch it in the documentary and it is unbelievable it's like it's like you're seeing like a sasquatch and a unicorn like having sex right in front of you like it's like this isn't (laughs) happening what like this is this is just this is too insane like that's it it, and that's how it is watching that so he should have said no in the beginning and if if they would have insisted then he should have scripted it or said it in a more professional way but i don't think there's any way that a middle-aged man middle-aged balding man who's completely uncool can say that to a teenage girl and look anything but desperately creepy and disgusting. That so. interview and what th- that that clip specifically is disgusting. And then there's another one that that really stands out in my mind from framing Britney Spears, where Matt Lauer asks her a question about Ugh. you know does she just want to be left alone by the paparazzi and she bursts into tears. He's She's loving like, it. Yeah. He's I, loving it. He's like, I yes, mean, sweet. I got the response I wanted to. Again, middle-aged man being like, like they're just 
wanting that response. It's just disgusting. So what's interesting is people say, oh, are you a music journalist to me? And I've honestly, I've only ever written one piece ever for like a magazine. And it was about Yacht Rock because I love like Hall & Oates and Michael McDonald. I would say, no, I'm an author because I would never want to be put into that same kind of category as people looking for a response, getting vulnerable people. I think to be a creative person, I'm speaking for myself and maybe for you or other people listening, you, you have to have a certain kind of fragility and vulnerability to even want to pursue that. And mm. to just, just to poke at that over and over again is just it's cruel and evil. And it's for your own self self perpetuating purposes. It's not right. And you watch that and it, it just it just, just makes me absolutely sick to my stomach. And I want nothing to do with that. Mm. No association with that. So, yeah, it's it's hideous watching that. Something else that I forgot about, and I don't know how I forgot about it, but was Britney Spears' iconic 2001 VMA performance featuring Banana, the Burmese python. Yeah. And I went back after I read that chapter and I watched that performance. And that girl, she was in Vegas on that stage before she was officially in Vegas. I mean, she was strong and confident. And when she picked up that python, and like a fully grown python can weigh up to like 35 kilograms. I think we can forget how heavy a, like a fully grown snake can be. But that was a defining moment in her career. What are your thoughts on that performance? Backlash from Peter aside. I mean, I, I love that performance. Like it's totally badass. Like she's just like, mm-hmm, I'm gonna show you who's boss. And she just owns the stage. She completely owns that stage. And it, I mean, yeah, it has that kind of like, you know, Adam and Eve, but in that scenario with the snake and the jungle and everything like that. But in that scenario, like, who would not want to hang out with Eve over, I mean, Adam's not even there. Like Eve is just ruling the scene and is, like you said, like she's singing, I'm a slave for you, but really she's, she's really doing the opposite. She's a slave to no one. She's just like this strong, powerful queen on, you know, mm. ruling it. And again, like you were saying, like, as I'm, I am 10 years older than Brittany, I was watching that going, wow, like I want to be as cool as you, even though you're younger than I am and, and mad respect to you, like rocking with the Python, doing the, the, all those dance moves, like just literally just showing your stuff. And I don't think that that, I mean, this is on weird. I don't think that was overly sexy. I thought it was more a statement of power than a look how and, and mm. sensual, not so much as her trying to be, you know, be seductive. I don't, I didn't really read it as that. So, and even, even the snake thing, I can understand why, you know, why the, the, the pedo was upset about the snake, but the snake was, I think, you know, a, a crucial part to that would not have been the same without the snake and the snake, like you said, it's heavy. It's showing her like dominating something that we're all, that many people are terrified of. And you look at it and again, like here's this, she's not, how old was she? Like 20, 21. She wasn't very old when she did that. And to get up in front of the world and like, you know, shake your butt like that with a snake, with all the that other random, insane, like, you know, smoke and steam and wild animals. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing if you think about it now. So yeah, I love that performance. I, I think that's probably one of my favorite Britney performances. I mean, I do like her, I can't get no satisfaction when she strips down to like basically the nude sparkly suit. But I think that that's kind of expected. Like, I'm a slave for you is so just out yes. there and bonkers, you know? One of the things that I really loved about this book was the fact that, I mean, it's thoroughly researched. Oh, thank you. No aspect of her life is left untouched. I mean, I, and, and 
you know, you, like we were talking about the perfumes, which I completely forgot that she owned. And, and I, I want to know, what is your research strategy when you're in the thick of things? Well, this book was different because I'm a complete nerd. Like I have a PhD from Goldsmiths College here in the UK. And so my first thing when I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do a new project is I'm going to go to the British Library. It's like so dorky, I know. Uh, so the first day I was set, I, I got the book contract for this. I'm like, I'm going to the British library. So I went to the British library and there is nothing on Britney Spears at the British library, zero. And the British library is supposed to be a vault of like every single thing that's ever been written, you know, since time began. <laughs> uh, I was like, what, what am I going to do? And then I thought about it. I'm like, okay, that's kind of part of the narrative here is that this woman has, again, is like part is, is thought of, and this goes back to what you're saying about the Beatles versus Britney. She's been thought of and considered this throwaway culture. So it's almost like she's not worthy of being in the holy the holy halls of the British Library. Uh, nothing's been written or, or they've not included her in there. So literally for this, I just, I did British Library. I did Rock's Back Pages. I trolled the internet. I saw like anybody and everyone I could interview, talk to her record label, like every single possible stone I could, I could um, go under, I did. But it was it's a slight it was a slightly different very different process actually than Nico, which Nico was literally going to archives, tracking down people that had probably not talked to anyone about Nico in like thirty years. So it just depends on what the project is. I recently had to do a project for another I can't say what it is because I have an NDA, but a very very well known very well loved pop band, and it was what was fascinating to me is that working with their management and their record label, like my style of research is very much that of like an archeologist and an academic. And they were just like, they, they loved it. But I think, I, I think that it was alien in terms of like, they were like, Oh, just look on the internet and look on YouTube. And I'm like, no, let's, if, let's go much deeper than that. Like, let's try to find some, you know, let's talk to fans. Let's, because fans are a great, a great way to get things that, are long forgotten. Um, but yeah, definitely digging around in different archives and just putting your feet, any little breadcrumb, you never know like what you're going to get on stuff. So that's really, really important. But you really dug so deep because the notes section at the back of this book is like 15 pages long with references. And I, I can imagine like from what you've just said that researching for this book wasn't easy with like billions of quote unquote sources <laughs> that are out there. How do you start mm -hmm. sorting through what touch points to use, especially if you're looking at the internet specifically? That, I mean, Brittany was really frustrating in the beginning. I'm like, oh my God, how do I even start? And then what I decided is we were originally were going to have the book turned in. So not even, we were originally, originally like we were just like, okay, let's maybe try to have it out sometime in 2022. And so I was supposed to have the transcript in by February of next year. And then we're like, okay, she's turning 40. That's a big year for women. Let's try to rock it and try to get 40 for 40. So that's kind of how I came up with 40 different little stories. And there were points where I'm like, Oh, like, what's it going to be? So I just kind of started on like, what was interesting is there's kind of like the big ones that everybody knows about. Like she shaved her head. She battered a paparazzi. Um, what are some other, you know, ones like that, that people are like, those are kind of some big, you know, she went wearing like the first thing, the very first thing I wrote about was her and Justin wearing yeah. denim and denim. <laughs> yeah. 
that was one of the first ones I wrote about. So I kind of went with like the ones I remembered. And then as you start reading, you kind of like you kind of get down those like rabbit holes, don't you? Of like, oh, that happened. Oh, that happened. Like that, like again, that Brit, like I, that Brittany Murphy thing, I loved the Brittany Murphy story because it was just so hilarious, but no one else, you know, think it was very funny in the end. Um, but I, what, oh, what was it? Toxic, like mm. the story of Toxic being about, uh, the, the veterinarian, like stuff like that. It's just like so random. So that's kind of how I, I picked the stories. And also, there's so much quote unquote news about Brittany. Like, I have a Brittany Google alert now just so I can kind of keep abreast of what's going on because I'm doing so many interviews about Brittany. And there's so many, there's so much news. Like today, Brittany wore a red dress and swirled around on her Instagram. <laughs> today, Brittany put up a picture of baby feet. It's like, okay, well, who cares? What are the real, what's the real thing that's the narrative of this woman? That's kind of, that's, that's the hard part. I think of what you're kind of digging out. How do you sift down to that? That part was a, a bit of a pain in the ass. But once I kind of had those 40 points, everything else was kind of filled out around that, if that makes sense. You also wrote a chapter on Brittany and Kevin chaotic, which is something I completely forgot about. I totally forgot about that reality show because at, at the time, you know, everything was about like newlyweds and the Osbournes. And then Brittany came in and it was so raw and unfiltered. And it was Brittany giving us a look at exactly who it was that she is. And people just pander for it completely. And it, it's sad because at the, at the end of your chapter, Brittany, she's listing her regrets. And she's like, yeah, chaotic is one of my regrets. Like, I would totally not do it again. And you say, you know, it's because she gave us a look at who she was. And we just completely slated her for it, which I thought was very sad. Isn't it, though? It's so true. Someone, and that's actually, you know, someone else actually wrote that, like, how I'm like, oh, good job, Brittany, for bringing in reality TV. It's like, I wasn't saying good job or bad job, but what I was saying is, again, similarly to what we started talking about at the very beginning of this with the perfume, that was the first real, if you think about, like, Jersey Shore or any of these, like, you know, love at first sight where mm. you have the people having sex and getting drunk, and that's the entire show, is people getting drunk, having sex, you know, the night cameras, very close up. Or if, if you even think about Instagram stories, like, I'm unboxing my shoes, wee! All that kind of culture. The real starting point, you can, if you have a family tree, you know, if typhoid married victim one or whatever is chaotic, like that is the first example of that sort of formatting for good or for bad. And Britney's the one that kind of that um, ushered that in. And nobody seems to realize that. Like Snooki and all those other freaks in um, Jersey Shore, every reality star that's gotten a <laughs> career off the back of that, it's from Chaotic. It's like you need to be like sending thank you cards to Britney and being like, listen, sis, thanks for my millions. It's because of Chaotic, because you got, you know, you got busted on it. Um, but she doesn't get any of that love. And like you said, she showed herself with zits. She showed herself wearing cutoffs and Ugg boots, which every girl was wearing mid 2000s. And people were just like, ugh, you're repulsive. And the way people wrote about her was horrendous. Like, oh, this piggy, little piggy eyes, little stubby legs. It's just, oh my goodness, horrendous. Like, of course you're not going to want to show yourself after that. Like, who would? I wouldn't leave the house after that. Someone wrote that about me. Hmm. You know, Jennifer, listening to you talk about being a self-confessed nerd, which I am too, so I feel like I understand you a little bit. Okay, that's good, that's good. I really, <laughs> I really get a better sense of why this book is non-sensationalist and, and takes an academic approach when looking at the, Brittany's life and 
her work and her impact with an eye on changing cultural attitudes as well. But how did you go about putting this book together in a way that's very objective and can really be used as an academic reference of sorts when and hopefully people do write things about Brittany in the future? Well, bless you for saying that. That's very kind of you to say, because I would love that. Um, because it's funny, I'm working on a book proposal right now for an artist that I really love and meant a lot to me personally. It's like a friend of my family. And um, it's a completely different experience. I think this sounds weird, but like, I like Britney, but it's easy. I, I What I'm interested in Britney is the phenomena of Britney. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not like a fan one way yeah. or the other. So I can be, I can be um, objective to it. And it was the same with Nico. Like people are like, oh my God. Like when I was, my, my PhD and my PhD was on the band Joy Division and my master's, um, I did, I did two masters, believe it or not. I did one about hip hop and I did one about uh, the Smiths. But and so those three topics, Joy Division, the hip hop and the Smiths, such a huge fan. So I, it's almost easier for me to write about things that, I am, I appreciate, but I'm not like super emotionally attached to. And I think that that's important mm. when you're looking at the Britney thing is like to look at her as a human, but to look at it as a case study in a lot of ways, that was really important. Cause I think it's, and it was in really talking to the free Britney movement people, when you talk to them, like one of the things I learned when I was hanging out with them for the book is I easily could join a cult and be swayed, no problem. Because if you, when, you, when you're around them, you're like, yeah, you're totally right. Like everything you're saying, Brittany, yes. Um, they're so enthusiastic and so like dedicated. But at the same time, you can't help but ask yourself. Then you have to kind of go leave that scenario and go, okay, like why is this so important to you and not other things that are happening. I just use that as an example for Brittany's a flawed person. Like she's not perfect in a lot of ways. And I hope that that comes across in the book too, is I'm not saying she's St. Brittany by a long stretch of the imagination. Um, it's more, I'm trying to have a critique of Britney Spears within the place of American popular culture. That was very important to me when I was doing the book. And I hope that comes across. Oh, it definitely does. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the hashtag free Britney movement because it's the kind of support that I, I don't think I've seen in my lifetime where fans no. are so invested in the celebrity that they love, that they essentially make a difference in their lives. Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think was the catalyst for the hashtag free Britney movement amassing a global following like it still has? I mean, it just continues to grow. Yeah, the thing with the free with free Britney is, Brit, again, this goes into Britney Spears being this strange amalgamation because she is this huge, huge pop star. But because of the things we've been talking about, she's almost like this underdog at the same time. She, you know, a lot of her fans are women. She's lots of gay boy fans. I don't know that many. I mean, I'm sure they're mm -hmm. out there, straight men that are big Britney fans. But just, I think, being an outsider, being a minority, which you are just, if you know, if you are queer, if you are a woman, you know, you're an underdog. And I think that, that you know, seeing Britney being put down, um, that's probably not a good expression to use when I use the word underdog, is it, with dog? But seeing Britney not doing well, needing help, I think that it, it kind of that outsider vibe allowed people to band together and be able to do something. And that is something that's very, very strong. You differ, you differentiate between control versus controlled in your book. 
Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit more about this comparison and then also the reference to Brittany's yellow t-shirt social media post where she asked her, uh, where fans asked her to wear a yellow t-shirt if she needed help and then what do you know? There she's wearing a little, a little cropped up. I mean, the whole thing is like, is Brittany in control or is she being controlled? Like that's the huge question. And I think it's something that we're assuming now that she's in control, but Again, it's an important issue because we don't know what exactly is going on. I think that's an important thing to always keep in mind now and always when we're looking at social media of anyone, mm. not just a celebrity. And in terms of the yellow T-shirt, that was something I think that was great for fans because it made them feel like they had some sort of swing over Britney. They had some sort of, if you would, communion with Britney, asking her to, you know, put up a picture of a dove if you need help, wear a yellow t-shirt if you're in trouble or whatever it is. So it's a way of them thinking that they are, you know, they are identifying with Britney and they're able to communicate with her when she had no other way but social media to communicate. And what's interesting is even though she's making different confessions now via Instagram, she hasn't really directly spoke to if those were um it, it, she, she hasn't she hasn't said yes those were calls for help or i was responding to what my fans had asked me to do in terms of those specific symbols that you bring up so it's interesting i mean i i still think it's weird or somewhat strange that she's not reached out to specific free britney activists and been like oh my god thank you so much because that's what i would do but maybe i don't know it i'm not britney spears and what do you hope people learn from reading being Britney pieces of a modern icon? Have a little compassion and empathy. That's one. And number two, I would say, start instead of worshiping a, a star that you don't know, start worshiping the people in your own community, whether that's a teacher or a doctor or your mom or your grandma or your swim coach or whoever it is. To me, like those are some of the real heroes it's not necessarily a pop star. So I think that's a really good lesson. The book is called Being Britney, Pieces of a Modern Icon, and you need to add it to your must-read list immediately. But Jennifer, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so, so much for having me. You get the book. I love it that you get the book. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast. <laughs>